0: Inspired in part by Sadia Hartman's Lose Your Mother, Lose Your Sister is a meditation on Black feminist thought and diaspora. Treating pop culture as a text, each week we will explore a different topic film, show, book, event, scandal, etc.
1: A note on creation. As we set out to build this podcast together as an exercise in friendship, cultural criticism, and diasporic exchange, we find strength in remembering that we come from a history of people who have loved and learned from one another across larger distances than this one. In the words of Saia Hartman, I too live in the time of slavery, by which I mean I'm living in the future created by it. Situated in this future, Lucia's sister considers how Black people find their way back to one another, interpersonally, artistically, and politically.
0: Hello, Jordan.
1: Hey, Liberty. How are you? You know, you know, we are—we're making it every well, day yes. at a time. You know, taking it slowly, pre-baby steps, psycho steps at this point.
0: Psycho <laughs> <Zygote> steps, <laughs> <Zygote> steps. <laughs> <Not even> pieces. <laughs> it's hard out here. No, it, um, it, is. it is. Yeah, but how are you? I'm okay. Still looking for full time employment. If any listeners have a job, <laughs> DM. <laughs> leave your sister or oh, your sister <laughs> at gmail.com please
1: hook but, her up
0: yeah other than that I'm all right so <clears throat> what have you been watching recently watching or listening
1: what have I been watching I've been watching succession I am a little yes. behind like maybe one or like one and a half episodes behind but I'm in this new season and I'm excited because they're back to their their old nonsense and I'm excited. Really also, Shiv is just taking L's left and right, and I just think that this season is really a humbling for her.
0: <laughs> so... That she needs, because she's no one there as smart <laughs> as she thinks she is.
1: No, she's really not, and I think she's always thought she was smarter because she's the one woman in the family, but it's like, babe, you're still dumb. Yeah, still she's dumb, not giving.
0: I knew Shiv wasn't as smart as she thought she was when, um, when, in season two, when they're all at the dinner table, and she was like, oh, dad, why don't you just tell them? that it's me that I'm next Mm -hmm. I'm like bitch shut
1: up (laughs) she's not she's not a smart girl and that's what I'm gonna say about she's not a smart girl she's lucky she's caked up that's what I'm gonna say she's lucky she's lucky in both ways in two ways yes she's lucky no literally financially and physically because I remember the first time I noticed and I was like wait a second like she has a wagon like why does she have a wagon (laughs) like I was like like does she not have enough like I was I was a little jealous I'm gonna be honest I was a little jealous but you know um she has plenty in life she just didn't get she didn't get the particular white matter necessary to make good decisions
0: yeah and it's also like the audacity to want to be CEO when you've never been a part of the company
1: she doesn't even know what she's talking about this is why Roman's my favorite
0: oh he won't be after the, the latest episode oh no yeah okay. even like Roman's fun in games but it's like you have to remember they always I, that's why I like the writing because they always remind you that they are terrible people
1: yeah this is true I mean he's my favorite of the terrible mostly because he makes me laugh consistently yes
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Roman be going for he needs therapy he does I'm like y'all yes. are that rich on have therapy that's crazy
1: He does. He has a little chaotic energy. I don't know why I'm convinced he's a SAG. It's just like feels true No, he is definitely a SAG. Yeah, Yeah, it just feels true to him. Chaotic energy. Yeah. Yeah. But what else have you been watching or listening to?
0: Listening to. to. Well, of course, we've listened to, you know, the Grand Dame of London, (laughs) Adele. Jamaican (laughs) queen. Miss Adkins. Miss Adkins. (laughs) Miss Adkins, who's coming for Celine Dion's crown as the White Queen of Jamaica. (laughs) Oh, I love 30. As soon as I finished listening to it, I got the vinyl. Oh my gosh. Iconic. Favorite song?
1: Um, So far, I've been listening to a lot of well, A Woman Like Me because Ooh, I think it's sassy. And that's mm-hmm. what I was most excited about. I was like, Adele's in her bag a little bit. One, because the song gives such Taurus woman energy to me. I've never heard a song that sounded more like a Taurus robot. Mm. And... So I like that about the song. I also just think that Adele is kind of in her bag because when she was like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> like she is so funny.
0: She said consistency and competence. Did she say competency as well in the song?
1: Um, complacency. Complacency. And yes. Mm.
0: She became vocabulary.
1: No, she really did. I mean, like it's not it's not giving Mimi level vocab, but it's oh, no, definitely in conversation, right? Yeah. I was like, T I wishes he had Mariah Carey's vocabulary. I've said this on numerous occasions. I'm screaming. No, you're right. He wishes. Right no. And he could never. He really couldn't.
0: My favorite is my little love. It's it, very cute. Yeah. It's very It made me cry. Yeah.
1: Even before oh, even oh. about the
0: stuff at the end. Just, yeah. just when the what she said, I'm holding on. Barely.
1: <laughs> no, so it's so sweet. I always I always love the song people write for their kids. I always think that there's something really beautiful about like. About how that translates into their music. Some people do it better than others. I will say, um, that's loaded, Who was that? Some people do it better than others. Um, it just depends. It Who really just does. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm pretty sure, like Chris Brown, named one of his albums after his daughter, and it was not iconic. Like it wasn't a moment. Uh, but I'm you have surprising. like Lauryn Hill with Zion, which is like a very <gasps> beautiful song. Oh, to
0: be honest, the best, the the, the benchmark. Yeah, it's the best.
1: That. It's the best in like Mamiana like canon.
0: Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I can not think of other ones. Um, Beyonce
1: has blue.
0: Yes, Beyonce has blue. Apparently, loving you was dedicated to by Minnie Ripperton.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. It I was think dedicated to. There's a version to... where you can hear Maya Rudolph like as a baby on it. She sings my name. Oh. Yeah. So. Oh,
1: now I need to listen to it again so I can cry.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Minnie Riperton, on too soon
1: that's so cute While
0: um, whilst well, I've been watching watch the new season of you I also watch um The Haunting of Hill House I need to watch The Haunting of Bly Manor mm. I need the- to
1: watch Haunting of Hill House because I know because Victoria Pedretti from you is in that right
0: yeah that's why I watched it because I was like yeah more of her. I was
1: like I I quite like her she's she's weird in a way that I enjoy um yes. <laughs>
0: someone called the evil Hillary Duff
1: <laughs> that's disrespectful but I know what they mean there's a lot of reductive takes comparing actresses to people they are not like so what and- Jordan
0: is referring to if you could <clears throat> visit the pre-analysis conversation and I think it's the Washington Brights episode that we did about in the heights I uh, think so accidentally confused Angela Bassett and then Whitfield and a certain someone who i thought was my friend who i thought was my co-host my confidant who i could lean on Mm. drags me for it on the airways on the internet only to find twitter saying that lynn whitfield is evil angela bassett and i was like thank you i felt vindicated because it's correct they look alike they don't someone said that evil twin i wouldn't say twin but definitely sister
1: Sisters in Christ, they do not look alike, and, and it's Christ refuse, not
0: strong. The Christ not
1: believe for us all. Please, I I refuse to agree with that take. Lynn Whitfield has a very different filmography. I'm not talking Angela, about I'm talking
0: about look. See, like oh, you but they're like the easy to
1: differentiate things. between. They have a different vibe. I just think it's different. Like, do they both give bougie? Yes. Do they both give a high cheekbone? Yes. But they don't look alike to me
0: to you but to everybody else they do no and, and honestly
1: everyone agreeing with that just proved to me why we're not getting free because we still can't tell everybody <laughs> apart that's the problem i was like if we can't if we can't distinguish between faces we've seen very frequently there's no hope there's no hope i was like fungibility is just eating my people up it's eating my people up
0: Not fungibility, not the NFT. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, I won't allow it.
0: Aura and discography and filmography, even. Um, This is why I don't like you PhD students because I'm literally (laughs) just talking about how they look.
1: (laughs) I'm just talking about face value. I I just think they look different. But nevertheless, I still
0: think they look alike. And so does the internet. Because everyone knew what that person meant when they said evil Angela Bassett. Hmm. yeah all right so do
1: you want to get into the topic yes this week we are talking about passing um the movie and the book a little bit yeah and we're excited to get into this because we both like reread reread the book and watched the movie to like prep and there's just a lot of a lot going on so I guess we should give like the rundown of you know what the film is about what the novel is about and also a little bit about the director behind this adaptation
0: yes because she has an interesting history of passing all right so passing is the 2021 Netflix original film adaptation of the 1929 novella of the same name by Nella Larson The film and the book take place during the Harlem Renaissance and follows Irene Redfield, an upper middle class housewife and mother who encounters a childhood friend, Claire Bellew. Both Irene and Claire are very light-skinned and thus have the ability to pass for white. However, Irene only passes for convenience while Claire has created a new life for herself as a white woman, marrying a wealthy white man who despises Black people. As Claire worms her way back into Irene's life, Irene becomes increasingly dissatisfied with her pristine but mundane marriage to a doctor named Brian, and tensions rise. Passing features Tessa Thompson as Irene, Ruth Neger as Claire, Andre Holland as Brian, and Alexander Skarsgård as John Bellew, Claire's racist husband. Rebecca Hall wrote and directed the film.
1: Hall, who appears white, has her own intimate relationship with Passing, her maternal grandfather, Norman Irving, was an African-American who passed for white and subsequently obscured his family history from the majority of his descendants. Irving's daughter, Maria Irving, grew up to be an accomplished opera singer and married the famous British theater director, Sir Peter Hall, moved to England and gave birth to her only child, Rebecca Hall, who directed the film. Both Hall and her mother were uncertain of their racial ancestry until Hall read Passing some 13 years ago and finally had the language to demystify her grandfather's past. A film adaptation of Passing became Hall's passion project and she fought to film in black and white and a 4-3 aspect ratio to achieve her vision. Hall has a lengthy career as an actress and Passing is her directorial debut. So do you
0: want to do the leading question oh we should have done a leading question before the <laughs> reading the thing you know
1: this whole episode is about things that are kind of thrown out of whack and out of order so you know it is it is quite all right we will embrace it
0: <laughs> okay so the leading question we should have been first was who is your favorite white passing figure
1: <laughs> um Ooh. I don't know if this is my favorite white passing figure, but this is, like, I always love to, like, tell people that Pete Wentz is Jamaican. <laughs> it's, like, one of my favorite things to do is just, to hey, see how people respond when I notify him, when I notify them about his ancestry, just because it means that, I, like, Black people get to claim Fall Out Boy, which is, like, a, a power move for me.
0: Yes, I'm like, Pete Wentz is my cousin.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a little iconic. It's also just funny because it's like, can you imagine being the only like, punk kid with a perm?
0: <laughs> I mean, I can't. <laughs> because he was, I hair. Said straightened. he was pressing
1: that hair. He was pressing that hair. He was Damn. pressing. The hot comb was, was sizzling. Pressing it. The heat damage. I was like, there's nothing more punk than heat damage, baby. Oh. <laughs> he was killing it. I was happy for him.
0: Yes. I would also like to point out, in terms of people who racially pass. for the longest time, I thought Tom Jones was black. Um, <laughs> Not that. <laughs> I just thought he was black for the longest time, until I think there's an episode of Fresh Prince when Carlton, when Tom Jones is like, I'm your fairy godfather. And then mm-hmm. Carlton's like, I didn't think I'd have a white fairy godfather. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs>
1: That's so funny. I try to think if there's anyone I ever thought was like, there are definitely people that I'm still convinced are not as white as they think they are. Like I'm right. still not convinced Taylor Lautner is what he says he is. Um, oh, Like I'm still not convinced. Like in interviews when he's like, oh, I'm this, I, like I'm, my skin is so dark because I'm French. I was like, baby, French. the French are not, the French are not known for having dark skin. <laughs> like that's not really a French thing. He always talks about why he auditioned for Twilight and that like he never knew, like that he didn't grow up understanding himself to have native ancestry. But when the casting call came out, his mom was like, Oh yeah, like you should definitely go audition. <laughs> now I'm like, I think his mama was hiding something. I think she knows something. Because it's like, how how you just spring that on him?
0: Right. No, that man is brown.
1: Yeah, I was like, he's very brown. Like even as a child, like like Sharkborn Lava Girl, he's brown. Like right. From the beginning and I just I just feel like somebody's hiding something because he's always like oh I'm German and I'm French and I'm Irish and that's why I look like this I'm like baby how many how many how many Germans you know look like you should have said Italian (laughs) I was like at least if he had done something a little Mediterranean even if he had said Greek I'd have been like baby maybe maybe Um, wow no he's stretching it and that's why I'm like I feel like something's up there yes all
0: right so thoughts on passing the film or do you want to do the book and the film
1: we could do both. Yeah, I guess we could say like what order we encountered them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read the book first, and I read the book kind of on a whim. I just kind of had always heard of the of it and knew that I wanted to get around to reading it at some point. And then I read it in like a day, like it was a really quick read. Yeah, um, I remember being really just like taken into the world, like just feeling like the way Nella Larson wrote was just like really really like captivating to me. Like I just couldn't put the book down and I was really into the story. And I remember just like feeling like when I finished the book, I was just like, I just felt like I had the wind knocked out of me. Like I was kind of just like, this is so abrupt, but also it just felt like, I don't know, it felt like a thriller a little bit. Like it felt Mm -hmm. like I had just taken in this like really intimate exchange between these two people and that there was like potentially culpability on the part of Irene for Claire's death and so I think there was a lot of like weight that I felt after reading the book I saw the film in theaters like I went to the theater to go see it because I felt like I wanted to have that experience and I liked the film like I thought that the performances were pretty good I did prefer I think Ruth Nega's performance to Tessa Thompson's but I did enjoy it and perhaps maybe it's on purpose because I do think in some ways Claire is supposed to be a more intriguing character but I thought that the performances were really good. I had some hesitations about the casting, to be honest. Not as much for them, too. Although there were obviously conversations from the jump about whether or not they were the best to be cast for this. And I understand those concerns. My my issue with casting had a little bit more to do with the casting for Irene's husband. I thought that that was oh, interesting. an interesting choice with Andre Holland. Um, I enjoy him as an actor. It's just he doesn't look like what I thought Irene's husband would look like based on the book and I thought that the people they the actors they cast for their children just to me didn't look like the children of Andre Holland and Tessa Thompson um oh yeah because in the books they they specify obviously that her husband is dark-skinned and that her kids are dark um so I thought that that was appropriate that they get darker like kids but I was confused as to why her husband wasn't dark-skinned because Andre Holland is not that much darker than Tessa Thompson like like you take the film out of black and white and they're like maybe two shades away from each other
0: that's a good point yeah i enjoy seeing andre holland so i'm never gonna complain <laughs> about his casting <laughs> what are you call <laughs> to um which i didn't notice as much in moonlight because i was distracted by mm-hmm. one trevante Rhodes. but um
1: completely fair completely fair. yeah i mean because yeah. like I mean, it's hard. It would be hard for anybody to sit next to Trevante and get any attention.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but watching, I was like, "Oh, you kind of... Oh, so yeah." Um. <laughs> <clears throat> so I hadn't read the book before hearing about the film, and so I read it in order to watch the film. And I was really took by like how good it was, how Grayson the book is, and also. It's kind of funny or, like, it reminded me of Real Housewives. I was like, this is giving Real Housewives <laughs> a toe I was like, ooh. Because <laughs> the, the way that they speak is just really, really funny and entertaining to me because they were throwing each other shade and all sorts. The ending also knocked the wind at me because I figured that Claire was going to die because that's how passing stories usually end, like, the, whoever's passing ends up dying and also read the introduction by, I think, Sprit Bennett, who wrote <laughs> The Vanishing Half, um, As she mentioned that Claire's die. I didn't realize how Claire would die, because in my opinion, the book is ambiguous. At first, it's kind yeah. of ambiguous, and then to me, it's very, very clear that Irene murked her. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's brilliant, because it completely flips the book in his head, because the whole time, Irene tries to make out, like, Claire is just a moral person and there's like we'll talk about this um later on but there's this like clear binary of not just like black and white but to be like a good mother and a good housewife mm-hmm. and like Claire is meant to be like the antithesis of that and I think at one point in the book Irene even says or maybe just the narrative says that Claire is the type of person who will do anything to get what she wants mm-hmm. and then Irene does like the worst thing ever <laughs> right at the end <laughs> um so I know I always bring up Toni Morrison but it reminded me of Sula you know, no, I I actually
1: think they it's very much a similar like I would like to see people read them together more often.
0: Yeah, because there's a scene in Sula when I think they watch a kid die and it's mm. now who has the more chilling reaction than Sula um really disturbs the binary of like good and evil. So yes, but the film I feel like the film is a very faithful adaptation, mm-hmm. but I guess my, it just wasn't giving in the same way and I don't quite know what's missing. Maybe it's that tension because the book is very tense, especially in the scenes where, um, the scenes with Claire's husband and it occurs later in the story in the book than it does in the film. And I kind of wish that it occurred later in the film as well because the stakes aren't set up and so it's not as tense in the film as it is in the book. Yeah, it just it just wasn't giving. Didn't have that razzle dazzle. Didn't have that yeah. tension, that ginger. But again, I thought the performances are great, especially Ruth Negga. I love watching Ruth Negga. I think she's like mm-hmm. amazing. She also has a very calming aura around her, and I love that when people have that. But yeah, I don't think yeah. the film enhanced or built upon the book, or yeah. really captured like the spirit of the book. As in, like, because the book is kind of fun.
1: No, I agree. I also think in some ways, maybe it's also just an issue of like how they approach the genre of the text too, because I don't know. I think, I think there was an extent to which the book feels a little bit more like, like you said, right? Like it's tense and there's this kind of buildup where it feels like there's all this pressure Mm. building into the story that is just going to like burst at a certain point. The film, like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I think you do get the sense that like, that Irene is a bit, like unstable, right? That she's falling apart in a certain kind of way. Mm. But I don't think you get the same kind of sense of like the tension in their relationship, at least not as heightened as it felt in the in the book to me. Like I felt yeah. like really aware of their relationship. And I think part of it also is I think they probably should have shown more of Claire. Mm. Like I think, I think actually we might have needed more of her, her life in the film. Cause I feel like I remember. And maybe I'm wrong, but I thought in the book that there's another time where Irene goes to her house.
0: Yeah, that's the second time. So the first time they meet is just on the in the Drayton up top and mm-hmm. Irene doesn't meet John Bellew. Yeah. But, and then the second time when um, Claire invites her to a house and there's another white person, Black woman there. Yeah. And Irene doesn't even know that John's going to come into the house. And then he does. And then he's racist on top of that. And Claire didn't tell them. And so it's a very tense and scary scene. But like, you can tell that Claire's kind of enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Not just the attention, but also like the danger of it. (laughs) Yeah, Which is a mess and that was lacking in.
1: Yeah, I think that was the scene, at least for me, when I think back to the book, I remember that being a scene that like, really like stopped me in my tracks. Because I was like, this scene is really intense. And it just, it felt like it kind of just like escalated like very quickly. But I also think it would have been good in terms of building up the kind of like, I guess like more of the psychological quality of the story. Mm. Like if there had been a little bit more engagement with like what it meant for Claire to enjoy duping this white man. Mm, Um, And like the joy of that kind of secrecy, I think is something that I would have liked to have seen more of. Cause I think they show so much of like her joy being black back in black community, right? Like she's going to these, these events and she's enjoying dancing with black people. She's enjoying talking to Irene's maid. There's all this acknowledgement of like what she loves and misses about Blackness, but I don't think they spend as much time sitting with why it is, like what it is her her white life consists of mm-hmm. um, and what she gets from it. Yeah. And yeah. then of course, like her lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Because um, I think not only does she enjoy it, she loves having an audience. And that's mm-hmm. also one of the reasons why she wants to intrude on Irene's life because she's doing this amazing performance being a white woman. But the tragic irony is, is that like no one can commend her for it <laughs> because her white the white people in life believe that she's white, and so there's they don't see anything to commend her for. But if she passes for white in front of a black person, then they know, and then there's that danger again. She can actually like feel that energy, and she can like impress. There's definitely like, a cat and mouse dynamic between Irene and Claire. That's missing in the film.
1: Yeah, I think there's that tension, like that sense of like a certain kind of like almost like exhibitionism, right? Like, cause she's yeah, kind of- Yeah, it's very much yeah, exhibitionism. Right, around. like she kind of wants people to see her take these risks and watch her and both be shocked and seduced by her her antics in a certain type of way. And I think that tension would have been nice to see more. I think in the film also, in my opinion, it feels like the husband factors more than I think he factored in the book.
0: Oh yeah, definitely, yeah, 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 Like,
1: I don't remember in the book ever being like, OMG, like, Claire's trying to take Irene's man. Like, I never felt like that sense that the husband was, like, was mm. really a character that, that Claire cared about, like, oh, yeah, intensely. Um, but in the film, it does feel like the husband is a huge part of, like, the dynamic because it feels like he's also been put in the middle of, like, their, their back and forth. And it feels like, at times... Like you see him and Claire together and you're supposed to feel like this is why Irene is going crazy, mm. right? But in reality, I feel like Irene has her own desire for Claire that isn't really about the husband at all. Yeah.
0: And in a lot of things I've read, particularly in queer readings of the text, where there's definitely a queer subtext undergirding the novel and the film. It's I like that they played that up in the film as well. But people say that Irene is projecting her desire for Claire onto Mm -hmm. her husband yeah which I do see
1: I can see
0: that there's also reading that the husband is also gay by Blackmore he's in the reading list Mm. but yeah which I didn't quite believe until they mentioned the fact that the husband wants to go to Brazil Mm. and Brazil I guess is known for having a more lenient attitude to like homosexuality Mm. so I was like oh that's
1: interesting I also think what was interesting to me was that like because of the way they cut the, the scenes with Claire's husband, we miss like another reference to Brazil because technically there's there's a white reference to Brazil too, like not just the husband's reference, but later on, I remember in the book, there's a point where, where Claire's husband makes a comment about Brazil and about how black it is. Mm. And he talks about like, just like Latin America in general I think he literally says something like about like how many like niggers there are there yeah. or something like that. Right. So I think there's a way in which like the kind of peripheral presence of Brazil in the film is mostly focused on like the husband and like his desire to leave. And it's kind of just framed as like, you know, a kind of just like general kind of expatriotism kind of move. But I think it would have been interesting to sit a little bit more with what the American understanding of Brazil was at that time and how like even white people were aware of the fact that Brazil was black. Yeah. Um. Because I think I think we see that the husband gets it. But I think I remember in the book that it comes up like more than once.
0: Mm. Yeah. And guess before we get into like the analysis, my other complaint about the film is that I think it should have been in color instead of black and white. I agree. Yeah. Because the book is very colorful, especially in how it describes Claire. Um, and I think it would have really exacerbated Irene's attraction to Claire. And I remember in one particular scene when they go to that negro welfarely ball irene comes down and she sees claire and claire looks absolutely stunning she's got the gorgeous dress on and like irene looks dowdy in comparison mm-hmm. and she like feels dowdy she's mm-hmm. like oh i should have changed and they keep that scene in the film mm-hmm. but i don't think it had the same impact especially because yeah. claire's always wearing like red lipstick and she's wearing these gorgeous dresses And I think the jealousy between the two is also a very interesting component. And also in like same-sex relationships, like I think it would be very, it's much easier to be jealous of somebody who's the same gender as you um, because of the roles that you both play in society. Yeah. And how you're socialized versus being jealous of someone of of a different gender in terms of like looks and things like Mm -hmm. that and how society awards desirability. So I wish that came to play more and also when I think of the Harlem Renaissance I think of that just being such an exciting and fun and colorful time and I think yeah color would have done more justice to that yeah than black and white. I
1: agree I think in terms of the intimacy and even I think the like the desire or like just stronger emotions between them right like the passion Mm. anger whatever it would have been I think I almost feel like it would have been more impactful on screen if if they had been in color like to be able to see the, the vast difference between the two of them, especially if Claire is coming in as this kind of, ironically, as a very colorful presence, right? Mm. That she comes in as a very kind of vibrant person, despite the fact that she is kind of, is committed to this kind of subduing of, of, of a huge part of who she is, that she does come in with this kind of vibrancy that Irene does not have. Yeah. Um, that Irene <clears throat> has kind of like submitted herself to a certain kind of like upper middle class, Black elite, beige existence in the hopes of maintaining right a certain kind of status whereas like white elite culture does not require the same kind of performance that I think mm, that upkeep. black elite yeah black elites are engaging in at that time and so I think that like Claire is able to indulge in her wealth in these kind of more like extravagant ways where mm. I think Irene is kind of like she's very clearly enjoying that wealth like she has a maid she has this house she's able to do certain things but there's also a way in which she doesn't actually like really ever express herself in ways that would suggest being liberated or Mm -hmm. like in real control of her situation
0: yeah so i wish there was more color in the film at least that they just like play the color because like even Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of like symbolism that i think would have been better in color like for instance there's lots of things that fall and crash and Mm -hmm. then because everything's kind of gray doesn't really have an impact when things like smash or like yeah. when I mean like cigarette and they fall and she or she stumps it out like that like the light of the lit cigarette could have been um in color or something like that mm-hmm.
1: yeah I would be. I think it would have been really interesting if they had done both mm, yeah right like what that would have been like visually would have been really interesting if the film kind of went back and forth between in color and black and white and even what that would have done for our sense of like whose perspective we were getting something from too, yeah. could have been interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. So where'd you want to go in terms of themes that you want to discuss?
1: Ooh, I mean, there's really so many in this, in this movie. I mean, I'm really interested in the relationships in the film. Mm. Right? I mean, in some ways the whole, the whole film is about different types of relationships. I mean, we talked a little bit about how Irene's husband, Brian, factors into everything and like they're kind of back and forth. I'm also really interested in like the figure of the maid, Zelena, mm. and how as another black woman in this story, like what her function is as a black woman who can't pass and who doesn't have class or like skin and like hair texture privilege in this particular moment. Like what it means for her to be a black woman who does not have access to what Irene and Claire are even bickering about <laughs> like for yeah, the entire yeah, yeah. bit of the film, right? Like like the whole film hinges on this back and forth between these two Black women that is largely inaccessible to another huge portion of Black women at this time who would never even find themselves in the situation.
0: Mm. It also shows how inextricable colorism and class is because I'm just being, there being a jolt when I was reading and I saw Zunina, especially because she's described as Mm -hmm. a dark creature or something like that, or like a Black creature, but definitely creature. yeah. And it just has the whole dimension of class because like even if Irene doesn't pass for white, she's still greatly benefiting from colorism. Mm-hmm. And there's this one ironic line when her husband says she likes he likes this one a bit darker. I said this darker darker how
1: <laughs> dark where <way. laughs> I know, but I don't know something about that comment, honestly, like on one hand, I like understand why everybody's like, oh, like. Like that's, that's laughable because he married this light-skinned woman. But I also was kind of like, part of me honestly believed him, but that like part of his decision to be with the woman he's with is not just about his physical attraction, right? Like being with a light-skinned woman is, is not just about, I think light-skinned women are more attractive, right? Like there, there are all these like social benefits of to course, aligning yeah. yourself with a certain type of partner and that she meets certain standards as far as like respectability and as far as like the kind of person he's supposed to be with so part of me also felt like it was kind of also perhaps a hint that he was cheating because I kind of read it as like there was also this potential that there were women who did not look like Irene that he was also Mm -hmm. interested in even if he would not marry those women yes yeah
0: and that's why I think Zina is such an interesting character because it really reveals Irene's appreciation of other Black people. Mm-hmm. Because I guess she treats her, ne- her maid sort of benevolently, but she does very much cast her in the background. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a choice to have a dark-skinned maid. And meanwhile, she's entertaining all these white people at functions that are meant to be for the Negro Welfare League. And so it really showed even though Irene wouldn't pass for white, on some sort of weird moral ground, Mm -hmm. um, that moral ground is very, very shaky. Yeah. Because of how she indulges in colorism. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I also think in some ways part of, I think what she won't admit is that part of her decision to stay Black is also about the cultural capital and the social capital she has as a light-skinned woman in the Black community that Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have as just another white girl, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, if you're white and you're around white people, being white isn't important anymore, Mm. right? It's like, if you're just one of the white girls, they'll dog you out like any other white woman. You'll be in the house miserable on your yellow wallpaper energy like the rest of the white girls. Mm. But like, if she, staying in the black community actually gives her a little bit more cachet than she would have if she passed. Yes. Right, because the reality is part of why Claire is unhappy is while being white does give her access to more in terms of like, her finances and like her lifestyle, her husband is not actually like that good to her. Mm. Right? Like her husband is not like doting on her or like treating her any better than any other white woman would be treated at that time. Yeah. So I think there's there's also a question of like of like weighing what what you get out of a situation, right? And I think for Claire, I think lifestyle and the condition of her life was very important, right? And I think you get that a little bit more in the book too, like just how rough her childhood was or like how kind of strained her relationships were as a kid, particularly her relationship with her father. Like, I wish that that we had gotten more of Mm, like some of that background context in terms of who she is. Because I think they talk about like her living with the white white or like white passing aunts, right? But they don't really talk about where her Blackness comes from. It's just kind of like, we know she's Black, but they don't really talk about like, why is she Black? Like, Mm. who is her Black family? And I think that would have been helpful to give context for I think why she's so fixated on on a complete overhaul of her life um and also why it is that she doesn't seem to have ties to anything um I think that would have been helpful but in general I think that we get Irene's tea the most based on how how Zelina functions in her life because I think you start to see okay like this woman is very interested in in being praised for her kind of performative engagement and like being a race woman, right, at this particular moment in time, but that it is very much about this kind of reaffirmation of her value as a light-skinned woman in a particular space. And I think Zulina is a, is a foil to that kind of on a regular basis. And I really like the scenes with Zulina and Claire, because I think it also brings out, like, what it means to interact with a light-skinned Black woman who maybe is not as invested in being... Because I think in some ways it's like Claire... Isn't invested in being light skinned, right? Like Claire's being white, but she's not invested in being like a light skinned woman in the same way that Irene is. So her relationship to Zulena is like kind of different.
0: Yeah, Claire can act really casually around Zulena because Zulena isn't her maid. Mm -hmm. I think the dynamic might be very different if, yeah, Zulena worked for Claire.
1: Yeah. But I think it's interesting that, like, (laughs) 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 hey,
0: my cat just jumped right onto my shoulders from the bed, like <laughs> straight onto my shoulders.
1: <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting, like like you bring that up because there, the husband, Claire's husband does mention that she refused to hire Black help. Yes. In the house, right? And it's funny because like, I think some people would look at it and be like, oh, like she's she's participating in her husband's racism. But part of me wondered if it was also both a desire not to be clocked. I think it two, was that
0: really. And Just two, too because
1: maybe I think there would have been a certain level of discomfort that she would have experienced seeing that anti-Blackness, like from her husband towards the maid in real time. Mm,
0: yeah, Like
1: I think maybe it would have been uncomfortable for her like to actually have to engage with it. Because even her husband's whole like pet name for her, Nig and like their whole thing, which actually- I laughed I laughed like I'll be honest I laughed it was funny, <laughs> it was funny and I I was like y'all know my heart <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because this man was like she's getting darker every year and I was oh like my girl I
0: was
1: like how many white women you know get darker with age
0: right also so another interesting thing I thought about is just like how race how racist is a complete social construct because he says it doesn't matter how dark you
1: get I know you're still white mm-hmm. and I'm like girl how that what <laughs> because he's willing it I think it's exactly. a psychological thing right he's willing it he needs her to be white which yeah. is really what he was saying yeah uh, because he couldn't he couldn't mentally handle it even though his brain was processing there are things about her that are inconsistent with my understanding of what white women look like and what their skin does <laughs> over the years he's just refusing he's like I'm getting all this information that would suggest that you are in fact a negress but I don't know any negresses I don't know any black people so you're a white woman because you have to be a white woman
0: yeah my life would be a lot easier if you just (laughs) kept being white but yeah I think that's part of the genius of the novel and what the film tries to justice towards is that like race is just a performance um well that's a controversial statement because it's more than just performance but we do have to perform race and how we're mm-hmm. socialized and there's other different performances because the title passing takes on like lots of different meanings because it's not only just passing for white it's passing for straight it's passing as a mother maybe like I don't know if you can call it imposter syndrome but just feeling like I don't know what I'm doing as a mother passing for happiness within your marriage or happiness within the state of your life and Blackmore and McDowell Um, who are the two writers who talk about the queer subtext of Passing, also said that the novel Passes as a plot about race when it's actually about same-sex desire, Mm. which I think is really interesting, because Nella Larsing at the time couldn't write very outwardly about homosexuality, and thus she had to write about this plot about Passing, but really that's just like one aspect, almost like a superficial aspect or just like a story context to a narrative about class and lesbians.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could absolutely see that being the case. I mean, I I think I wonder to what extent, like, in terms of Claire and Irene's dynamic, like, if we should think of it as something that's built into their history or something that is just like fantasy, like it's all desire that's been un unmet or unrealized. Mm-hmm. Because there were moments where I was kind of like. I almost wonder what their relationship was like when they were younger, like before passing into mm-hmm. this conversation, like was this desire there then? Or is the desire something that comes up now because there's this like fantasy and intrigue about this woman who is like doing something kind of taboo and it opens up what is kind of taboo or stigmatized about Irene's own desires. Um, and so I go kind of back and forth because there were some people who were saying that they felt like Irene and Claire were lovers from the beginning and that like they when they see each other again it's like it's both like I'm clocking you like from the past but it's also because like I remember Mm. and then there's other people who were kind of like no there is this kind of queer subtext but it's all longing right like it's all something that hasn't been been like actualized Mm. And I kind of go back and forth. But part of me leans towards it not being actualized just because there's so much tension between them that makes me feel like they actually haven't had that moment.
0: Yeah. And also, at least in the book, I think Claire's like 12 or 14 by the time she leaves. And I don't even think they were that close. From the book, I didn't get the sense that- I don't think so either. Yeah, it was even more like they were classmates rather Mm -hmm. than (laughs) that they were actually like properly friends yeah and Claire is more excited to just see somebody that she recognizes finally than I guess rekindling a friendship Mm -hmm. that she actually had
1: yeah no I agree I think to me it seems like in some ways they mean very different things to each other because I think you're right I think for Claire it is kind of just like the nostalgia piece like it is this kind of Mm. like someone who knows me from before and it kind of is like this Pandora's box of like can I dip into my past without getting sucked into it? Mm. Um, but I think for Irene, I do kind of get the sense that maybe Irene admired Claire or was perhaps a little obsessed with Claire, even as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think it does come off, like the way she talks about her, like she was so beautiful. Like she just always thought she was so beautiful. I get the sense that she maybe wasn't friends with Claire as a kid, but she wanted to be, Yeah. Like, she wanted to, to know her. It honestly reminded me a little bit of like Pretty Little Liars, like where you have this like, like Queen Bee type figure, like Mm. this person that everyone kind of sees a certain type of way, or at least one person sees a certain type of way. And like, you kind of like pine or like long for this person to like notice you, right? Like you hope, like the way that like on Pretty Little Liars, like Emily really wanted Allison's approval, even like kind of like mean girls, like a Regina George Mm. type character. And I don't necessarily know if I think that Claire was actually that popular, like in that sense. But I think that she held a certain kind of like status from Irene's perspective.
0: Yeah. Also, yeah, a certain magnetism because in yeah. the book, it even describes her as a child, she always wanted beautiful things and she always just had a love and lust for life. And it's important that Irene recognizes Claire through her laugh, mm-hmm. both in the book and the film. I think it's emphasized more in the book. Because that shows you just the type of, like, joyous person
1: that mm-hmm. Claire is. Yeah. I think it also shows you that Irene was paying attention to her. Oh, yeah. Right? Right? I mean, because it means that, like, like she wasn't, like, they didn't just pass each other by mm. growing up, right? Like, and even if they did, Irene was paying enough attention to, like, log that kind of data about her, mm. um, which, is, which is really interesting. And I think it does kind of feed into the, the general idea that she was like she was already like she already had this kind of like interest in her yeah. at a young age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I do want to say there was a missed opportunity through throttle between Irene
1: and <laughs> I mean Andre. I personally felt like I was interested in like I don't know it's weird because there aren't like necessarily like sex scenes in the book, but there was something about the film that felt a little sterile to me um like it felt a little like on like I don't know I felt like the 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 sexual aspect of like the relationships didn't feel a thing to the same extent but I don't know I feel like in the book I feel like I remember having a sense that these were like intimate relationships but I didn't necessarily feel that to the same extent I am really interested in the theme of motherhood in the Mm -hmm. book like and the film and like how it operates I'm always a little annoyed with like that trope I guess in terms of like how Irene like her whole thing of like oh like protect the babies like we shouldn't tell them about this kind of stuff like that mm-hmm. trope of like the mom particularly like the like the light-skinned mother being that figure it reminded me of Blackish a little bit oh. like that kind of idea that like you have this like light-skinned and or mixed-race wife who was kind of like who's like framed as like touchy and naive about mm-hmm. race um and the husband has to come in and be like we were gonna talk about lynching at the dinner table and like it oh, was framed, I, right? Can we talk like, about
0: how he was rude about that because he, she was reading on a bedtime story?
1: And yeah, then he like I just, interrupts.
0: I was like, can we not do <laughs> it? Like, it was a lot,
1: and I feel like I don't know. I feel like there's a way in which it kind of gets framed like she's being unreasonable or like there's something like in her that's gonna break if she has to face the violence of anti-blackness, and that she's like, she's saying she's protecting her kids, but I think she's also protecting herself. But like, I I was kind of like, I don't know, even though I know it happens in the book and I understand that it makes sense for a certain type of character, I do feel like I'm starting to get a little annoyed with this particular image of like a Black woman in a maternal role who is just like a little bit, a little bit kind of like in the clouds, like as mm. far as like it comes, it comes to race. Yeah, I just think it doesn't feel super... I don't know. I kind of just feel like it's a particular frame that doesn't like do it for me in terms of representations of like Black mothers. But Mm -hmm. I also think it has a lot to do with colorism and like just the way that there's a certain kind of airy lightness that people want to attach to a certain type of light-skinned woman, even if it's not real. Like even if in reality, light-skinned Black women are just as aware of anti-Blackness as everyone else. I think there seems like a real effort to depict them in a certain type of way and as wanting to be like outside of like the realm of like all the dark things that happened to other black people was kind of like annoying. Um, even if it made sense, but I, I don't know. I thought the motherhood thing was interesting in terms of like what Irene feared and what Claire feared because like Claire was obviously worried about her child being dark, Mm. which is why she talked about like her pregnancy being very stressful. And I thought that was something about passing that I wish they had sat more with, The kinds of concessions she has to make but also the kind of like constant anxiety that she would experience during like relatively normal life moments Mm -hmm. like that pregnancy for her wouldn't be stressful for the same reasons it was stressful for other people like there was this added stress of potentially being betrayed by your biology yeah which was interesting
0: i also find it interesting that i guess it's a function of rich white families but the fact that we never see claire's daughter and mm-hmm. she's just like in Switzerland and you kind of forget that she's there. But yeah, I just find it interesting how motherhood isn't coveted mm-hmm. in this book, which no you think is a good or a bad thing. And that Claire says that motherhood is the most cruel thing in the world, which I guess is a lot to unpack. I could unpack it better if I was a mother. But I do think it's like it shows a reality to motherhood and its difficulties, even though it's very clear that Irene adores her children. Um, is very protective of them Mm -hmm. and I think Claire because of her passing and her anxieties about being found out I think that she does probably project that onto her daughter because she doesn't feel as very close to her
1: yeah I mean I almost wonder in my head the way I thought about it was that Claire is distant from her daughter as like as a form of love Mm. because I I kind of interpreted it as Claire is the only one that actually is burdened by her passing right like she's the only one who actually has to know the truth or feel like she's hiding right or like has to do any work to hide but her daughter has the privilege of being born into a family that is as far as she's concerned is indisputably like undisputedly white Mm -hmm. right and like the daughter doesn't have to question her whiteness. She doesn't have to put it on in the way that yeah. Claire does, right? Yeah. So I think there's a way in which for Claire, it's like, if she had a truly intimate relationship with her daughter, oh, she, she her would out. risk, there would be this risk of, of her daughter knowing her. And if her daughter knows her and knows who she is, then it ruins everything. Mm. Because it's like everything everything that her daughter now has access to would be kind of thrown mm. off. And so I feel like in a way, it's like loving her daughter is keeping her as far away from her as possible so that she can, that she can be a white woman, right? Mm -hmm. That like Claire is like, is like working at it, but like her daughter could actually be a white woman. And I think maybe that's part of what that mode is, is like a clean cut because she knows that that is the only way to ensure that her daughter will have access to something that, that she has had to kind of fight for in a certain way.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that also links back nicely to Rebecca Hall's history of passing. I tend not to think about um, passing narratives beyond the actual person and what it's like for their descendants. Because, yeah, your whole family history is gone. And I think it took Rebecca Hall like 13 years to like really excavate her past. And it's also considering, I guess, the pedigree, that's ugly word describe people. Yeah. um, The pedigree of Rebecca Hall being that her father is a knight is mm-hmm. a famed theatre director and producer, that lineage is a direct result of her grandfather passing. Mm-hmm. Would Maria Irving have grown up to be a prestigious opera singer and have married Sir Peter Hall if her father didn't pass in the first place?
1: Probably I mean, not.
0: Yeah, probably not. Particularly, And the fact that they moved to England too.
1: <laughs> probably not, yeah. right? I mean, I think... I think what I like in some ways about the way Hall talks about her history is that it's it's less a conversation about like I think oftentimes people talk about passing our histories of passing, and it becomes this thing of like, okay, like are they black? Like, are they still black? Like who's black, who's not black? But I think in some ways what Hall is sitting with is something that's a little bit more interesting because it's kind of like, like I think that she understands that she is white, yeah, right? Definitely. Like for all intents, like all intents and purposes, right? But I think there's a way in which She is grappling with what it means that she is white on account of the actions of black people, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that there were that there were black people who worked very hard to ensure that she could be white. Mm. Right. And so there's a way in which I think that she's having to sit with the kind of like ancestral kind of inheritance that is like complicated because Mm. it's like you owe your whiteness to people who are not white. Mm. And so it is a complicated thing that she's sitting with and i think it means that maybe her sense of how constructed and how flimsy like uh, you know her position is is maybe a little bit heightened for her as opposed to white people who don't necessarily have the same kind of lineage she does but mm-hmm. i i honestly thought it was a really interesting piece to have like a director who had that kind of similar family history to yeah. what was happening in the story although i do wonder in some ways what the film would have looked like if it was Done by an actor who was who was a non-passing Black person, Mm. right? Like I wonder, like I wonder, like with different kind of variations, right? Like if you have someone who could pass but doesn't pass, right? Mm. Like what, like how would they approach that kind of film? Because I almost wonder, like I think there's a way that passing has almost like a kind of like mythology around Mm. it. Like the way we think about passing is like these people who kind of like slip in and out of the community over the course of history, and who like oftentimes despite despite the way we talk about it sometimes on the internet or the way that it's kind of like critiqued right like in terms of like our judgment of it as a practice historically black communities were very protective of those members who passed right Mm. like like it was generally understood that like you you were not going to out those people yeah there was not necessarily this sense that they were like your enemy in some kind of way, or that like you should resent them for doing what they did. I also think, in a way, like the idea that you brought before about like different types of passing. I think it also just reminded me that like even people who cannot pass pass. <laughs> like I think I yeah. think in like I think we find other ways to pass, even if we can't necessarily do it in terms of like the way we look. I
0: hmm. also wonder about the gendering of passing because in a yeah. lot of um, depictions, it's usually a woman. Um, at least mm-hmm. the most famous ones I think either the Bois or Langston Hughes wrote about a man passing but yeah it's usually women which I think is interesting
1: mm-hmm. yeah I've read the autobiography of an ex-colored man and that's a really good I think example of like a, a story about a, a white passing black man and it's very interesting because I also think there's a degree to which like the regional aspect of it is really important Mm. in those stories too because I think like he is from the south but he moves to the north which I think facilitates like some of his like his passing ease also because he's moving to areas where there are a higher number of European immigrants also so like yes, the the yes. idea of like what white is is expanding right mm-hmm. at a particular moment in time I think there's something we even talk about with like Mariah and like like yes. thinking about the meaning of Mariah and like how part of I think what she's able to experience in terms of ambiguity at times is because of where she is and like the high number of like ethnic whites (laughs) in the (laughs) area she's in right like it's a lot of like italians and like albanians and stuff right so like yeah yeah so i think there's a way that like she's experiencing a certain kind of like she can get caught up in the what everyone else has going on and like her features don't have to stick out quite as much
0: yeah right well we have to wrap up but I would like to mention that there's also like a reversal of passing modern day black fishing, which is interesting. And like, I guess a question that we can leave with is that how have conditions changed that now white people want to pass as black or like light skin or racially ambiguous? Because there's a line in the f- um, in the film and the book where Irene says a black person passed for white, but a white person could have pass for black. And that's no longer true. Almost 100 years later. Alright, so, any last words?
1: Whew, y'all.
0: No, my last word uh, is that um, Irene killed Claire. She pushed her. And she got away with it. And I don't believe I... mean in any ambiguity in the ending! <laughs> well, <laughs> because that doesn't make the book, if the ending's ambiguous, then the book isn't as fun.
1: Uh, I mean, I and that concludes this episode of Law & Order <laughs> Special Passing Unit. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. To continue this conversation, check out our reading list for this episode on our link tree, or you'll find all the resources we read to shape this discussion. If you enjoy our work, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.
1: We want to hear your thoughts and questions about this episode. Please tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter at at lose your Sister. You can also send us an email at loseyoursister at gmail.com. We hope you'll be back for our next episode next month.
0: Bye. Bye.